It is the 200 level episode 210. Remember the Alan Dope. Trying to think of any sort of San Antonio reference, and then any way I can get a Simpsons reference in there as well. There you go. Not the result any of us wanted. Unfortunately, the result that not, maybe we weren't expecting, but no one's surprised, are they? And I think it is a mixture of two things. It's the fact that UTSA was legit in their own way. For a group of five program, they have turned into something legit. And then you add that to the fact that we have this history of losing bad games at home, especially in the last five or six years. Throw this in there with Eastern Michigan. And maybe you won't look quite as bad if UTSA goes 9-3 and three or 10-2 and two this year. But before we get too far into this, I want to let you know I'm not going to rationalize anything that happened. I like Brett Bielma. I think that he's still the guy until I see more games like this. Uh, then I might start doubting that. Uh, I'll get into the blame game part of this because I think as fans, we often try to figure out whose fault is this? And the answer may not be as simple as this, that, or the other. It's probably a myriad of issues, and God knows this program is just kind of a mess. We're trying to dig ourselves out of this mess, and I guess it'll take longer than maybe we had hoped. And the truth might also lie somewhere in between. As Jeremy wrote in his article today, and I'm paraphrasing, you know that was probably one of the worst performances we'll see from Illinois this year. And maybe Nebraska was one of the best, and somewhere in the middle is what this team actually is, which means that I do think they'll be competitive at home against Big Ten West teams. I think they'll even hang in with a Wisconsin, for example. This brand of football, as we saw yesterday, despite all the mistakes that Illinois was making, they were right in it and had a chance to tie it up or maybe win late. So I guess there are silver linings, but let's keep it simple. You lost at home to UTSA. The Nebraska win, distant memory. The 33,000 people that were in the stands, and we're, we're going to actually start with that, I think. The 33,000 people in the stands left with yet another notch under their belt of a disappointing home loss against a team that before the schedule came out, we had not even heard of. So there are frustrations abound. But I got to be honest, I'm not overly frustrated personally. And I think part of that is not having been to the Nebraska game and not having lived that experience, I was not emotionally invested in this team as much as people that would have been there or would have watched the game live and had that sort of, oh, crap, maybe maybe we're good. Maybe we're ahead of schedule with Brett Bielema. I understand why people that were there in week one that came back for week two would have left that stadium with the same sort of, oh, God, feeling that you've had for most of your Illini fandom life. And I had that same sort of feeling, though I didn't have anger, you know, there, and there was no shock. That's for sure. There was no shock. And I tried to find the humor in it. And maybe that is me trying to kind of keep this at arm's length and not get bothered. But I got to be honest, I'm not emotionally invested in this team. And I'm not emotionally invested in this program to the degree where them losing is going to affect me for more than about a minute. Me and my friend, we left the stadium, went to the car, went home. We were joking about it, which is, again, maybe just something that you do as a fan to get over it or try to avoid the sting of the loss. But if you were to ask me what are the most disappointing or gut punch losses that you've seen as an Illini football fan, this isn't going in the top 10. And I think it's because I don't have a lot of skin in the game just yet. This may be a loss that looms large because, again, I think this team will overall be competitive this year with maybe uh, one or two exceptions. 
I think in the Big Ten West, as we saw on Saturday, even the likes of Wisconsin, it's it's one game. But did you watch Wisconsin and Penn State and think they're going to kick our ass? I, I didn't. I look at Graham Mertz, and I know that Lovey Smith's defense made him look really, really good. And by the way, apologies for the allergies. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be backing away from the microphone and doing every now and then, which I know is disgusting. That's what a full day of tailgating outside will do. But uh, yeah, overall, as I sit here on this Sunday evening, I waited not because I had to get over anger, but I just didn't quite know what to say. And I didn't have a lot of fire under my belly about, oh my God, we lost to UTSA. But what I am worried about, and this is what we're going to start the podcast with, I'm worried about what casual Illini fans, the ones that might have bought a ticket to this game or another game later in the schedule, what this means for them. So let's start with that in just a minute. Before we get there, got to remind you, the 200 Levels brought to you by DP Doe. I saw Steve from DP Doe out in the tailgate lot yesterday, had a good chat with him, and DP Doe is celebrating their 15th year, 15 years since they've been in business on campus. I can speak from experience. These guys are terrific. It was something a friend recommended when I was a sophomore at the U of I, and that kind of became our post-bar food of choice. But you see, the difference between them and other late-night fixtures like uh, Drew's or One World Pizza, and those that are my age would remember those places, this is actually good. That's why it's been here for 15 years. Go online to dpdo.com, custom zones with any toppings you want, or some of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone at dpdo.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That's dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby. Oh, these allergies. Good Lord. Fourth and Kirby has amazing Illini shirts. I wore one of them to the game on Saturday. I like it a lot, and I guess someone maybe consider it unlucky. I'm going to wear it again to the next tailgate. I might wear it again Saturday. If they lose to Virginia, maybe I will start considering to switch out my 4th and Kirby shirt for another 4th and Kirby shirt. And they have plenty of options that you can wear to the tailgates or to any home Illini football or basketball game, including a Brandon Lloyd shirt, which I saw a couple of those in the stadium. They looked excellent. Uh, go to 4th and You got great choices for all football season long at 4th and State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. For life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, Brian and his staff will hook you up with great State Farm prices and really great personalized service. Kara and I can speak from experience, homeowners and auto bundle. It was a very seamless process working with Brian and his staff. And uh, he is my guy, so make Brian your guy at brianismyguy.com. And finally, Rector Construction online at REC. TORConstruction.com for all your exterior needs. These guys have you covered. Dex patios to begin with. You can go on their website and see some of the work that they've done. I can say three things for effect. Okay, Isaac works there. So I know that there are great dudes that are working at Rector Construction. They have superior craftsmanship and probably the best customer service around. And for people that get renovations, you know, it, it can be tough sometimes. Uh, these guys are on top of their stuff. Go to rectorconstruction.com for any of your exterior needs. That's rectorconstruction, R-E-C-T-O-R, construction.com. All right, I think that is it for our sponsors. Oh my God, these allergies are terrible. I'm sure some of you are feeling the same way I am after a full day out in Lot 31. Oh, also, Alana Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network, partners with the 200 level. I want to start with that. So the tailgate scene was a little subdued and I chalked that up to the weather though. People, you know, the fixtures, the mainstays in lot 31 were all for the most part still there. And despite the rain, I, I thought the temperature was great. It wasn't that wet or muddy out there. So it was actually a great 
afternoon for tailgating. We got there about 1.30, uh, went all the way up until 6.30 before we went to the game. And uh, I had a great day. So going into the stadium, I was in great spirits anyway. Like, I was just happy to be back. And I expected a win. And yet, even when Illinois went down 14-0, I didn't really hit the panic button. And then it sort of dawned on me that in game two, I'm just not quite into it as much as I thought I would be after the Nebraska win. I stayed for the whole game. I can't tell you the last time I stayed for an entire Illinois football game. This one was a mere three and a half hours. And I thought with all the runs that it would probably go quicker than that. Well, no. Stoppages in play, especially in the third quarter, I remember thinking, good God, just go with it. And you guys have heard me rail on the length of college football. It's just too damn long. But my friend and I sat in our seats and I enjoyed it. I did. I thought that overall it was as frustrating as moments of that game were. It was still entertaining. Maybe I'm still in that honeymoon phase of the Bielema era, though I think many people have graduated from that honeymoon phase. But for the 33,000 people that were there, if that's in fact how many people were there, because if you looked up in the balconies, the corners of the main stands, it was actually the student section that was most well represented at the stadium. And that leads me to my first point and my biggest concern. In my life, I could probably count on two hands the big Alani home games, the ones that had sellout crowds or close to it that were meaningful, and then you left the stadium with a true bounce to your step. You know, the, the kind of euphoric moments that you search for as a sports fan and have been all too rare for Illini football. Basketball, not as much. You can get a few of those every year at State Farm Center, it seems like, especially now. But with football, it has been so rare to leave Memorial Stadium feeling good. And that's why last Saturday, I, was, I would not have traded places. I was happy where I was at these concerts. But I also had this thought to myself, ooh, that, that might have been as good as it gets for Illini football. Even if they went on to have a decent year this year, first game, new coach, Pretty decent crowd. I think it was in the 50s. I'd have to go back and check what that attendance was. But 33000 paid, I believe, last night. I don't know if they do the turnstile thing or not. I understand the weather. I get it. And that didn't alarm me, given the opponent and the fact that fans may be saving their pennies for the Maryland game on a Friday night, certainly for the Wisconsin game. But when you lose a game like that, it's difficult to imagine those fans that would say, hey, let's pick a game or two to go to, are going to be enthused to actually make that purchase. Homecoming for Wisconsin, that'll be a good crowd because it's homecoming and it's Wisconsin. Will it be a sellout? I would be damn near shocked. They need to go on a little bit of a run here. That means beating Virginia, beating Maryland or Purdue, somehow being 3-3 three and three, but more likely 4-2 and two if you really want to get people excited before that Wisconsin game. And I thought winning the UTSA game was essential in terms of maintaining momentum and the perception that this is different. And you didn't do that. So if fans are going to jump ship, I'm not going to blame them for a second. Or I should say, I don't know about jumping ship, but keeping this at arm's length, not getting invested, not putting in the time and the money to make a full day of Illini football just yet. I think that's more than fair. It is aggravating when you take all these losses as a whole. You know, if I were to go back and look at individual losses over the years, frustrating at the time. But when you pile them up 
what it means is that the average Joe fan in Champaign-Urbana is going to say, I'm not going to bother. It's the same story, different day. And that's too bad because it may not be. It may be that UTSA is pretty good and you played a bad game. And I think we would all agree that Illinois played a bad game. Uncharacteristic if you only are looking at the Nebraska game. It was not a clean game for Illinois. They were the team that was making mistakes. And if they would have made fewer mistakes, I still think they would have won that game. I don't know what that says about this team. I don't know if that means my expectations of six and six are still attainable if they were to, you know, play like they did in week one. This Nebraska team, by the way, they beat Fordham 52 to three. I don't know what that means, if anything. Probably means nothing. They might have just been two bad teams playing week one. It could be that UTSA is just really damn good. And yet again, think about the scheduling. <laughs> we, we get Western Michigan in Lovey's first year. Now, Lovey was terrible, as we know. Should not have lost to that P.J. Fleck-led Western Michigan team. What was it? 42-7 to seven or, or something ridiculous. Shouldn't have lost him by that much. But you got them at the worst possible time. UTSA, you probably got them the last year that this coach is going to be there before he goes on to green, greener pastures. He is a hot commodity right now in coaching. I know you don't know these things when you schedule them. And I'm sure that it would be costly to get out of them. I just wish that there was more of an effort to do that. I don't care what the perception would be. Oh, they bought out UTSA to not play them. Well, it's better than paying them $1.1 million to lose to them. The simple solution would have been just win the game. And that's where the Illini fans that would turn that 33,000 into a 50,000 attendance for a Big Ten game upcoming. They're going to say, you know what? Screw it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to continue to go. We'll be there for the Maryland game. The band is actually going to be playing in Grange Grove beforehand. I'll give you guys all the details about that. And we're going to try to make a tailgate right next to the stage and make a whole day of it. And, and that'll be fun. I'll get off school, head over there that Friday afternoon, and there we go. It's going to be a good time. But the thing about it with tailgating and then the football game itself is that the tailgate is enhanced when you have something to look forward to. If we go into Virginia and get the doors blown off of us, which is a possibility. I mean, who knows? Maybe this is just like Ron Zook's first year where you beat Rutgers in thrilling fashion in week one. That Rutgers team had Ray Rice, by the way. Greg Schiano. It was a decent program at that point. And we're thinking, oh my God, we might have something here. Then you finish two and nine. <laughs> so that is a distinct possibility. I don't think that's the case, but it's not unheard of. And tell me that the average fan isn't thinking that's a possibility right now or thinking, here we go again, not just here we go again, four and eight, here we go again, another two and nine, two and 10 first season for the new coach. And nothing is really different. And that's too bad that it happened this early in the year and that it happened right after Nebraska. So before you really had time to digest the newness of everything and how exciting this newness was, it's like air going out of a balloon. So that is the biggest frustration, more than any of the individual things that happened on the field. The overall frustration is that it felt like an opportunity was there to just win this game any way, shape, or form. People would not have remembered if you won by one point or 14 points. Would not have mattered as long as you just started 2-0. But instead, you lose. And then if you do get into the more micro parts of this game, it's not just that you lost. It's that they looked like the better team for 60 minutes. They were pushing you around. And for a team that is full of so many veterans like this Illinois team, that 
is the biggest frustration I had from the game itself. 37 to 30, the score alone is not going to make a lot of fans pull their hair out, but it was the way that UTSA was so efficient on offense and you didn't really seem to have the guys. Let's call it what it is. Schematically, Illinois made some adjustments on defense, though I understand the argument that it was too little too late. The slant patterns that they were getting away with, it felt like that was going to be their all game, and Illinois sort of tightened up on defense, especially in the late second quarter and let's say the first half of the third quarter. I felt like they had a few good series in a row. You got to stop in the first half to lead to a punt that I felt like that was the moment. We're going to get the ball, take the lead. We're going to double dip, as Isaiah Williams said about the Nebraska game. Go into halftime with the lead, come right back out with the ball and score, and then take control of this game. And then it hits <laughs> hits one of your blockers on the butt. Kirby Joseph, that was who it was. And bad luck, it was a bad bounce, but there was the, uh, the other part of just get out of the way. Easier said than done. You know, I don't know if it was wrong place, wrong time, or a boneheaded play, but whether or not that was a boneheaded play, there were plenty of others that Illinois committed on Saturday night. But it was the ruthless almost efficiency of UTSA. 26 first downs, 9 of 17 on third down, so a little bit over 50%. Ugh. 497 yards. That ain't going to do it. And it's not just the 217 rushing. You could have told me that before the game, and I would have said, okay, I can live with that because that's what they do. It's the 280 passing. 20 of 32 from this Harris kid, a quarterback. I know 10 of their 11 offensive starters were back, all 11, I think, on defense, or vice versa. I know the experience. Illinois has plenty of experience, too. And I'm afraid that the reality check is that experience doesn't hold up a candle to actual talent. And this is where I found myself in this dilemma. Saturday night, I'm watching that game, and I'm actually getting frustrated at players and thinking, well, this is ridiculous. These guys are 18 to 22 years old, work their butts off to get to this point, to get to this level. And here I am like, ah, God, they just aren't good enough. But isn't that the concern? That the players themselves just might not be very good? And then I stop myself and think, well, if I do that, it's a bit of a cop-out for the coaching staff. But if you were to ask me specifically, what could the coaching staff have done differently? A play call here, a play call there. I, I totally get that. Or schematically, the fact that you gave up so many passing yards, clearly something was amiss. But because the one consistent thing here is the players that were on the team last year are still here, and most everything else has changed in terms of the kind of coaching staff that you've built, and the template that you've built as or try, are trying to build as a program under Bielema, that's the thing that's changed, or so I think. So it just leads me to this sort of this loop in my thinking where it's like, okay, who is at fault? Or if we had a pie chart, what percentage are we giving to the players and what percent are we giving to the coaches? And my concern for the rest of this year, for the immediate future of this team, is that you don't really have the Jimmys and Joes, as Ron Zook would say. I think you got the X's and O's. I mean, I've been, I'm higher on this coaching staff than I've been any Illini coaching staff, and that's even after what we saw yesterday. I thought the fact that you were still in this game, despite all the mistakes that you were making, and an erratic performance from your quarterback, who looked more like the Art Sitkowski of old, no offense to him, and I think I'm going to bring myself back a little bit from the uh, Brandon Peters should not be the starter when healthy. And we'll get to that in a second. But 
what I do know is that the players have not changed. The coaching staff has. So when I see certain things happen just as they did a year or two ago, naturally, I gravitate towards thinking you don't have the guys you need to make this work quite yet. And that is a helpless feeling. I don't know if it's more helpless than if you felt like the coaching staff was inept. And I know there were frustrations, understandably so, with the coaching yesterday. Do I think he got outcoached? I think so. I think so. The proof is out there in the numbers alone that you had all these Big Ten guys coming back. You got to find some way, shape, or form to get it done yesterday, even with the mistakes that you made. So that is getting out coached. That is a concern. But more than anything, I keep going back to the fact that, especially in the secondary, good God, I, uh, it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch. It got to the point, kind of like the Ron Turner era, late Ron Turner era. And of course, we can look at Lovey, but I, I try to exercise that from my memory. But I think to the Ron Turner era where there were the eight-yard cushions, even Alan Ball, who went to the NFL and had a successful career, looked like a bad cornerback. Clearly, he wasn't. But yesterday, I was just seeing uh, these defensive secondary guys pretty much clueless as to what to do, apart from Witherspoon, who had some moments, though a couple not-so-good moments as well. Maybe the curse of me saying, oh, he's the best player on defense. I think he can be. But that was not one of his better performances. And then you look at specifically the one play where we got pressure on their quarterback. He launches it up. We have two defenders in the area, and they don't turn their heads around. And somehow it's a completed pass. That is just Bush League stuff. That's not smart football. And maybe that is a lack of coaching. Or maybe it's just bad habits were so ingrained into some of these players that it's going to take more than two games for Bielema and the staff to actually make the changes that they need to. But consistent competence yesterday, it was not. <laughs> it was consistently inconsistent. There was nothing that you could really hang your hat on for four quarters and say, well, at least we did this right. Because if you did something right on the next drive, you did that same thing wrong. And that was way too familiar of a feeling. It was not the kind of thing I was expecting to see against UTSA. I didn't need style points. I thought they'd win by two scores if they didn't make mistakes. Well, that might have been a little bit wishful thinking and underselling UTSA. But if you make fewer mistakes, I still think you win. So who is that indictment on, the coaches or the players? This will be a game that we probably play all year long. And if they go 2-10, and 10, can we really blame the players, a lot of whom were on the 6-6 six and six team two years ago? Can we really blame them if you just go all the way back to the last of the Big Ten West? I hope we don't get to that point. <laughs> I, I actually still see a scenario where they go into Virginia and they win. It's football. It's weird. Think about two years ago, that 6-6 six and six team. I don't know how good they actually were. They had some good moments, but for the most part, they were bad. If you counted the quarters in which they played where they were good and actually beat teams in that quarter and the quarters in which they got their butts handed to them, the latter still won out when they went 6-6. Six and six. But football is a funny game. And this style of play that you see from Bielema, the fact that yesterday we're just hanging in there despite feeling like, man, we're getting outclassed right now, I think lends itself well to the teams that you have coming up on this schedule. Maybe not at Virginia. And you know what? Maybe not Maryland. Because you see them yesterday beat West Virginia and think, great, Loxley's figured something out. But the Purdue's of the world, the Northwestern's of the world, Minnesota, we'll see, because they did score 31 on Ohio State. 
But I think that there are wins out there. I can let you know it's not going to be Iowa. Wisconsin, probably not, though I think that that will be an interesting game. At Penn State, probably not. And that's why you had to make hay in this early part of the schedule. Losing to UTSA just means that you don't have much of a margin for error. And I know, as Jeremy wrote in his piece last night, that's the reality, that this team is still at that point, and this program is still at a point where there is no margin for error. So as we watch these games, every mistake is magnified. And this thought of, well, we can't afford that. We aren't good enough to afford, on a punt, it hitting our own guy in the butt, and then the other team getting it right back. We can't afford that. And it happened. And it was a key play among a handful of others that led to the loss yesterday. Well, let me rephrase. (laughs) I'm not going to do the Beckman 17 plays different and then you win that game. Though I think that could have been the case. But this was a 60-minute effort from UTSA. And while you had the occasional moment on defense that gave me and some other fans hope that, well, maybe we're figuring this out and maybe we'll kind of settle in, it never came to fruition. By the time UTSA got their last touchdown and the way in which they got it, I can't believe I didn't just walk out of the stadium. I was still interested enough in thinking, okay, well, if we just get a quick score here and one stop, again, crazier things have happened. And by that point, I've been in the stadium for three hours and 15 minutes anyway. So it's like you watch a long movie and you just got to get to the end to see what the hell happens. And you darn near did it. I'm not going to fall into the trap of, hey, way to fight, guys. Way to fight. That's what they're supposed to do. They're athletes. And it's, it's weird. It seems like sometimes the people that yammer on about, well, they fought, are the same people that would rail against participation trophies. And I'm thinking, is, is that what we're rewarding these guys for only losing by seven points at home to UTSA? A participation trophy? Essentially, that's what it is. Great fight, guys. No, enough of that. I'm tired of losing to group five teams at home. And while that might have sounded like I was temporarily getting fired up there, and I guess I was relative to where I was, you know, 10 minutes ago. <laughs> uh, there is this sort of diminishing returns thing where as a long-suffering Illini football fan, of which many of us are of that same ilk, we've all been here. And over time, you just don't have enough blanks to give anymore. <laughs> I mean, we're texting last night, me, Trevor, and Isaac. Isaac, love him. He's got that fire that I had at his age for Illini sports, specifically Illini football, right? And I think all of us, when we really get into Illini football, it's usually due to one successful season. And boy, doesn't that feel good. So for me, 99 and 01. And thinking, oh, we can do this. And when we do this, it feels really good. And then you're chasing that for the rest of your fandom. And you don't get a lot in return. So for guys like Isaac that were pissed off in the stadium last night and had every right to be so. You know, that that is the kind of thing that can ruin a perfectly good Saturday. I've been there a bajillion times, you know, but I just have run out of blanks to give. And in a way, it's kind of liberating to sit in that stadium, watch the game, to find the humor, which you got to do, <laughs> to find the humor in Kirby Joseph getting the ball off of his butt during a punt return or any of the cavalcade of errors that Illinois had yesterday, finding reasons to laugh because otherwise you would just be sick and fed up of it. And uh, that is where last night by itself isn't bothersome to me because I've seen it, but there is this pattern 
And it's almost like you look at the UTSA game. It reminds me of Winthrop back in John Gross's last year. From a mile away, you could see it was a trap game. From a mile away. And yet, you still got beat. And it's like, if the fans can see it in front of them, don't take this team lightly. You would hope it's the same in the locker room. And that just by virtue of not taking a particular team lightly, you and your Big Ten athletes may be able to get the win against them. But alas, no. Whether it be UTSA or Eastern Michigan a couple years ago, you have yet another game that you lost at home and turned off the people that were in the stands and then God knows all the people watching at home said, screw this. I'm watching something else. There was plenty of good football on last night. Illinois UTSA was not one of them. <laughs> I mean, and isn't that the other frustrating thing? I, I just thought of this. I, I'm not asking for much. Truly, I don't even need good right now. I don't. I'll take mediocre. Losing to UTSA at home is not mediocre. Mediocre Big Ten teams usually win that game. But they didn't. So there is the fear factor of, oh, God, is, I mean, 10 more weeks. If we just are bad, then we're kind of dragging this process out. And God knows what it feels like in November if Illinois is, you know, two and six. We've all seen that story way too many times. And talk about no blanks to give anymore. You know, if this is a one and three start, losing to Virginia and then Maryland at home, and then you go on the road, I think, to Purdue, and all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, if something doesn't happen quick, how much more investment can I have in this team? I'm not going there yet because I actually think Saturday is going to tell a lot. I would not be surprised if it's a really close game, just as I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Virginia won by four scores. It's an 11-point spread right now. And you hear me say that, and you probably think, way to hedge your bets, Carp. Wow, I wouldn't be surprised if it's close, and I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't. But what I mean by that is, because of this week-to-week proposition that is college football, and how things can completely change, and a team that looks like garbage one week looks pretty damn good the next, who knows? And if you were to get a win at Virginia, I don't think that's enough to get 50,000 people to come out from Maryland. Unfortunately, the UTSA game is still going to I think people will, you know, linger on that even after a Virginia win because Virginia is not the kind of program that would be some sort of statement win. It would be like, oh, well, that's kind of a neat little surprise. It would instill a little bit of hope back in the fan base, but uh, yeah, something needs to happen if you want to get to that Wisconsin game and have that buzz in the air. I think something has got to happen, and that would start Saturday, uh, even if they don't quite finish out a win looking like they did week one, competent, and then coming home for a Friday night against Maryland where that's a program and a team that I look at, probably just because it's Loxley running it, where you know there's certain games they can put up 60, and then there's certain games where they put up 10. I think inconsistency will be part of his tenure there just as it was when he was the offensive coordinator here. You saw these flashes of sustained brilliance, and then you would have the occasional clunker of a game where you're thinking, how does that happen? You got Juice, Mendenhall, Aurelius Ben, and a great offensive line. How are you scoring 10 points at Iowa and having to bring Eddie McGee in? (laughs) No offense to Eddie. I like Eddie. But uh, I I think that these next two weeks will really set the tone for the rest of the year. And if you were to tell me that you were 2-1 and going into Maryland, I would not have been surprised, but I think we would have probably just predicted the Virginia game 
was the likely loss. Well, margin for error, right? It's gone, and it's a shame. Uh, if you want to somehow, some way, go bowling, you gotta be pretty good going forward, and you gotta get a win that you would not have expected. UTSA was one that you had to have with some toss-ups coming up, and a few that ain't gonna happens like Iowa, presumably Wisconsin. Now, one of the bigger surprises for me, and this is where I drank the Kool-Aid a bit too much, was the inefficiency of Sitkowski, a quarterback. And you know that I was harping on this last week. We got a quarterback controversy potentially brewing here in Champaign with Brandon Peters not having sustained a season-ending injury. He's going to be back. And he might be back on Saturday. Well, after that game, I understand why the inclination would be to go back to Peters because Sitkowski, while the numbers were there at the end of it, they were padded a bit by some late drives and the inconsistency. That, that, that was concerning. But here's the thing with the quarterback position. Even if Brandon Peters is coming back, do you trust him? I think he's probably better than Sitkowski. I would play him over Art Sitkowski after what I saw on Saturday. But I think it speaks more to a problem that you have at that position. And that's kind of the long and short of it, right? Earlier, I mentioned keep it simple. You know, don't lose at home to UTSA, group of five school. Let's just not make it more complicated than that. And then another thing you can keep simple is the teams that have good quarterbacks tend to do better. And I don't know if we have a good quarterback in the traditional sense of the word. We have guys that have flashes. We saw Sikowski with an amazing throw week one, and he had a couple pretty good ones yesterday. There was one out pattern, I think to Navarro, which it's an out. So it's what these guys should be able to throw, but it was a really well-executed play. And I thought, okay, well, that's something that looks like what a quarterback at this level should be able to do. And he looks the part. He's got size. He ran for a few first downs somewhat impressively. And he's figuring out a few of his weapons, especially Isaiah Williams. I know it was late in the game and maybe UTSA was playing off a bit, but Isaiah went down the field and got a couple in the middle of the field. One in particular where he got rocked and had held on to it. So maybe he is figuring out his weapons a little bit more. But it did appear as if Brandon Peters might be the more polished guy. And that's a problem. <laughs> that That is, uh, let me rephrase that. Brandon Peters is better than Artur Sikowski. I, I think we would agree with that. But the fact that that conversation was had should remind us that Brandon Peters was very inconsistent over the last two years. So just him coming back, I don't think changes the equation for this team that much. It is an improvement. I think it increases your chances to win, but by how much, I'm not entirely sure. And really, at the end of it, 30 points on offense, that ain't bad. There were some missed opportunities. James McCourt was great. He had two long field goals, but you know what? In those positions, especially the first one, you should have went down and scored. This is UTSA. You got to get the touchdown. And when you didn't twice, then that's part of the reason that at the end of the game, you're scrambling to get another seven on the board because you weren't able to do it before. So if Brandon Peters is in there, I think that you have a chance to win, a slightly better chance to win, but not some sort of exponential jump where all of a sudden this team with Brandon Peters is going to go seven and five, but with Sikowski, they're five and seven. I don't think it's a matter of that. If we were to do the war statistic for baseball or use it from baseball for those two guys, I don't know what difference there would be at the end of the day. And what does it matter when your defense gives up 37 points? 
and nearly 500 yards. If that happens at Virginia, no one cares. That's what you would expect on the road against a Power 5 team, but at home against a Group 5 team, this sort of meatball fan in me thinks to myself, have some pride. You guys are old. We got a bunch of juniors and seniors on this defense. Just make the play. Don't give up slant after slant. Okay, adjustment is made. That's not happening as much. Okay, fine. Don't be giving up first down after first down as it appeared like they were in the mid-third quarter through the rest of the game when it mattered the most. When it felt like maybe the defense had turned a bit of a corner, they were forcing a couple punts, maybe the tides were turning. But instead, they basically laid down when it matters the most. And I don't know if there's some sort of systemic rot You know, if the program, if we use the metaphor of a tree, are all the roots rotting from everything that came before? How much of a cleanup is in store for Brett Bielema? I didn't think it would be some sort of insurmountable thing in year one, just by virtue of having all these old guys. And that with Bielema and the staff, you're going to find some way to make fewer mistakes. And just by doing that, you're going to win more football games. Pretty easy equation. But while you didn't see a lot in the way of turnovers last night for Illinois, in fact, was there a turnover? Was there any fumble or interception? One turnover for each team. Never got sacked. So the offensive line pass blocking was okay yesterday. Run blocking 146 against UTSA. Not good enough. Not, I mean, especially if this Illinois team, all we thought coming into the season was, well, we know they got good running backs. And I'm still waiting for that consistency to emerge from one guy. And if I did have one criticism to Levy, and there were a few that you could, against Tony Peterson, I understand that you got different guys that you can put back there at running back and you can switch them in and out, keep them fresh. I get the concept, but sometimes you need a workhorse and sometimes you got to let a guy get a rhythm going. And it felt like every time I looked out there, there was a different guy in the backfield. No one you could count on. And eventually... Like the old adage that if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Well, if you have four running backs, how many do you really have? You got to let one, whether that be Epstein. I mean, Chase Brown, if he's not going to be a factor because he's hurt early on, wouldn't be Epstein or Reggie Love, who's looked good when he's carried the ball. And I, I like distributing the ball around to a point, but usually I associate that with receivers more than running backs. So it just seems to me like, are we getting too cute Do we have yet another offensive coordinator that thinks, oh, hey, check this out? No, go with the hot hand, or at least give one guy an opportunity to become the hot hand. Yesterday, there was no such rhythm that was developed, and I got to wonder, maybe you just leave a guy out there a little bit longer and let him get going and let the line get comfortable with, oh, yeah, it's going to be Reggie back there for the next three sets of downs or whatever it is. Looking at the box score right now, Reggie Love with 11 rushes, 39 yards, three and a half. So I know that doesn't scream, give him the ball more, but... It felt like maybe this guy's about to break one and never really got that chance. He did that. He had the 18-yarder. He did. Sikowski, pretty good in the running game. He had six attempts, 33 yards. Epstein, nine carries, 32 yards. Norwood, four for 26. McCray with five for 16. That was a bit puzzling. Do you really need four running backs with five carries or more? Just don't get cute. We can talk about Isaiah Williams, bright spots. Eight receptions, 101 yards. He's good. And I think there is a potential for him to be a game breaker. I don't know how many fly patterns he's going to run. 
but he gets in the middle of the field and breaks one tackle. That's just as good as a fly pattern if he can break it, you know, and I think he will be breaking some this year. Barker, after a slow for, uh, first game, one where he was not really much of a factor, five receipt, five receptions, excuse me, for 74 yards. And then do span with your long touchdown. That was pretty cool. Uh, Luke Ford, one reception. Not sure what really happened there. Casey Washington targeted a lot more uh, than I expected. Only two receptions in 20 yards. Yeah, I mean, distribution's fine. It's, it's not that, but just don't get cute. You have guys that are good, so just feed the studs. Who was that, Paul Petrino? Somebody in a line I passed. Feed the studs. And it just appears that we're doing this sort of, uh, well, let's keep them all fresh. And then before you know it, it's the fourth quarter, and every running back is averaging 3 to 3.5 yards per carry. Now, there is the offensive line component. 55, whose name escapes me. Really bad game yesterday. For all the experience that you have coming back, the offensive line has been a disappointment. And maybe we placed unfair expectations on them. And I'm also saying this in a game where Sikowski was not sacked. So that is a positive. But the run game was supposed to be the bread and butter. I know that's what Bielema wants to do and what Tony Peterson did so well at Minnesota. That felt like the template. And it worked in the second half, at least, with Nebraska. Enough to help you win. But really what got that game jump-started was a safety and then the scoop and score. And it wasn't until later in that game where the offense really found some consistency. We're still searching for that. And again, back to this idea of, okay, experience versus talent, I think we're finding out that just because these guys are 23 years old doesn't mean that they're all that great compared to their opponents. And ugh, that's that's depressing if that's the case. You, know, you, you would just think that in football, it pays to be the 23-year-old blocking a 20-year-old, just as an example. But maybe not if that 20-year-old on the other side is 6'6", and he's 325 and a freak athlete. And you're going to run into some of that this year. So I hope that some consistency is found because that's the word that I would harp on all season long. I hope that we can somehow look back on UTSA as an aberration, regardless of the record that this team ends with. There were just way too many moments of what the hell are you doing? That's a stupid mistake. Boneheaded football. There were way too many of those last night that made it feel like something from the five years prior or the 10 years prior, more to the point, and not like the week before. At Virginia, the expectations are low. I don't think many people expect to win. We also don't know much about Virginia. I mean, to be honest, I'll have to do some reading up this week just to figure out what are they good at. But it is also a game that is not against a top 10 or top 15 team. And in college football, any given Saturday, I really think that this Illinois team, if they play like they did against Nebraska, will be in a one-score game in the fourth quarter with a chance to win it. But this is where the institutional knowledge creeps in. The last time that Illinois won a non-conference away game, if memory serves, would have been Syracuse in 07. Non-conference road game. I'm trying to think here. Syracuse 07. Anything else? I, I don't think so. So if, if you guys think of one, let me know on Twitter, at FanboyCart. But I, I really do think you have to go that far back to find a non-conference win on the road. And in recent history, not so good. At North Carolina, Bill Cubitt year, not good. At Washington the year before, not good. Try to think of Levy Smith in any games that he played on the road, but presumably not good. <laughs> so UConn doesn't count, right? Uh, sorry, non-conference win against UConn, which do they even have a football program anymore? 
something like that. But uh, yeah, this is institutional knowledge would tell me this game is going to get away from Illinois, but that low expectation means that I'll be pleasantly surprised if we got a ball game and I'll be ecstatic if they win. Almost ecstatic enough to kind of wash away what we saw last night. I waited today to get this going just because, you know, again, you got to kind of conjure up the the fanboy feelings, I guess. And at the end of the day, it, it took a little bit longer than I thought. But as we get rolling this week and you find out more about Virginia and we'll talk more about them for our midweek podcast. And then on Saturday, Trevor and I are going to do a second half reaction pod from the studio. So excited to get back to that. But uh, it, it's at least an opportunity where you can come out and get a win that probably would not be leading off Sports Center or anything like that. But it would at least get some Illini fans interested again and cause the Big Ten to think, all right, well, maybe Illinois is not bad. UTSA is better than we thought, yada, yada, yada. I just want to have a little bit of respect to our name. I don't want Illinois to, by the end of week three, look like that easy win yet again. And if you get the doors blown off of you at Virginia, that's exactly what people would think. All right, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So this week, if you're at your office and you could use a quick lunch, go to dpdoe.com. They will deliver it right to you. Or on Saturday, you need something for halftime. Keep in mind, halftime will be right during lunchtime, 10 a.m. kickoff central time. So dpdoe.com is where you can get all of your calzone needs met. Your calzone needs, what is that? Uh, custom zones with any topping that you want or some of their favorites. My favorite back in the day was Maui Wowie. You get the dipping sauce on the side. It is one of the best bang for your bucks in town, and they can bring it piping hot to your doorstep. Can't beat that. dpdo.com. Rector Construction, I'm on at rectorconstruction.com. For all your home's exterior needs, get a free estimate today at R-E-C-T-O-R construction. That's rectorconstruction.com. State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business renters, you name it. Brian will take care of all your insurance needs. That's brianismyguy.com. And finally, oh God, I'm about to sneeze. These allergies are miserable. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. Great new swag just in time for Illini football. I got my fourth and Kirby shirts lined up for the entire football season. That's fourthandkirby.com. For Illini Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, appreciate their partnership. We will be back midweek for another episode of the 200 Level and our first live reaction pod of the year with Trevor and myself on Saturday. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, enjoy non-sports things on your Labor Day. I know I will be. In the meantime, take care, everybody. We'll see you soon. It is the 200 Level. Please.